Hello and welcome to the Cloud Tweaks podcast, where we look at developments and stories dealing with cloud, cybersecurity, the Internet of Things, AI, and other areas of business tech. I'm your host, Steve Prentice. Hosting of the Cloud Tweaks podcast is made possible by ISC Squared. Managing and utilizing cloud computing introduces new security challenges that cannot be addressed with traditional information security approaches. Secure clouds cannot exist without the right cloud security expertise. Demonstrate your knowledge and competence in cloud security architecture, design, operations, and service orchestration by becoming a certified cloud security professional, a CCSP. Visit ISC Squared at isc2.org to learn more about CCSP certification today. It is obvious to anyone living on planet Earth right now that we have reached a sort of historical turning point. A place where very little of what we have been doing, at work, at home and socially, can be done the same way anymore. And when looking into the future, things will have changed. The momentum that we enjoyed, such as establishing a cloud policy, or planning out the next five years, or planning your careers, or your projects, or your contracts, everything that operated along a timeline has now been shaken to its core. Business will have to continue somehow, but this fundamental global reset inspires a collection of questions like, what do we really need? How will it change? Where will people choose to work, and how will companies finance their own operations? Though no one has a crystal ball to peer into the future, we can do the next best thing and consult one of the sages of the industry. Ed Dreyer is a senior technology strategist at Steadfast Networks, a company that specializes in co-location, managed infrastructure as a service, and network infrastructure. With 22 years of experience in the technology world, Ed describes his speciality as turning the impossible into the new standard. So I asked him what he sees as the key priorities for tech companies, especially cloud companies, going forwards. This is my 25th year in IT, and one thing that I've found more than anything is IT is a customer service business. Yes, there's a focus on technology, but the fact of the matter is, over the past 15 years, people have cared less and less about the technology in detail, and more and more about the execution of their projects, the way that people interact with them, the way people have their needs met and listened to, it's all completely a customer service-based industry. And one of the main reasons that Steadfast is so successful is we've got a company full of nerds and geeks that have kind of lived in that environment for a long time. And we know how to listen to not only what the customer is saying they need, but what they're saying they want and how to translate that into actual technical needs. And a lot of the time, keep them away from the technical details that don't accent their business, but they need desperately in order to function properly. We're sitting in a very new and strange environment right now, Ed, and with people getting used to a very different approach to doing everything, most of it, of course, being at home and through various types of conversation and collaborative and meeting technologies. So this seems to be a really good example of how technology suppliers have had to turn on a dime and ramp up their supplies, as well as their reliability, incredibly quickly. So from your side, have you observed any great success stories or great failure stories in terms of how people have responded to this type of urgent change to their business? There are two types of companies uh, in this current market. There are those that were geared and ready for the work from home phenomenon, and there were companies that weren't. Um, I'm lucky that I've been in an industry where we've been expected to work from home for literally forever. 
And I know there are a lot of people in the financial space and medical space who have been working remotely for a long period of time. Um, the challenge is, is for the organizations that weren't prepared for it all, it was catastrophic. They didn't necessarily have infrastructure available. They didn't have machines. They might have been on desktop PCs. Uh, and their entire workflow was completely turned upside down on its head. Um, we're seeing a lot of different organizations deal with this in a lot of different ways. Some are more successful than others, uh, but the most successful ones are the organizations that have focused heavily on having the best talent, the most dynamic talent, and people that are allowed to work independently on their own and be allowed to kind of be free to execute the way they need to execute, as opposed to people that have a solid, structured, micromanaged job description. This sounds like a kind of an echo of what we were talking about as an industry even before the pandemic happened. Management consultants and future thinkers and others have been thinking about this for a while and observing the new expectations and work-life balance considerations that professionals of all ages have seemed to be asking for. But now, of course, we seem to be moving into this much more quickly. So if you are now identifying the importance of having talent on board, can you see how this might redefine hiring processes, for example, um, in terms of choosing people to hire to be part of any sort of IT infrastructure and security management? What do you see in terms of what decision makers may have to look for in the future in terms of defining what a job actually is, even when a company is still at its heart a brick and mortar operation? One of the challenges that organizations are finding is how to become an employer of choice. Um, the top talent in any specific field has their way of picking and choosing where they want to work. And some of those concepts that you talked about, like work from home, flexibility, the ability to select their own hours and have their entire workflow defined by how quickly they can execute and meet their deadlines, not necessarily working 40 or 37.5 hours per week, is a big component of that. Work-life balance is becoming a really important thing, especially now when we're all kind of stuck working at home and we can't differentiate work from life anymore. So what organizations are doing and how they used to kind of do it would be like, what kind of benefits can we offer? Can we do cleaning? Can we have a pinball machine? Can we have a beer fridge? Whatever else. What we're seeing now more and more are organizations that say, how do I equip my employees with the best equipment to work where they want to work, to work around the timetables they want to work around, and to judge them not on the number of hours put into their workload, but how well they execute what they've been given. And work-life balance, having good equipment, having an organization that doesn't micromanage turns a lot of big companies into those employers of choice, and they are scooping up the top 20% of talent because of that. Pay has something to do with it. But for the most part that I've seen, at least in the tech field and some other fields that I'm loosely connected into, people choose their employers not necessarily based on the benefits package anymore when it comes to salary and 401k. They pick work-life balance, whether or not they're going to be staffed properly, whether or not they're going to be backfilled properly, and whether or not they're going to be able to leave for a week's vacation and come back to not have a week of backlogged work. One of the concepts that is central to your approach is in terms of cost management. So what would be the advantage of working with an as-a-service organization like yours from a CapEx versus OpEx approach, for example? Is this something that people should be looking for as they strategize how to future-proof their organization? So 
as everybody knows, technology is expensive. Uh, it gets more complicated the larger of an organization you are and the more dependent you become on it. And what I found is my time as a director of IT was that it's very difficult to do a three or five year plan when it comes to an organization that may be shrinking or growing. And, you know, in 2020, every organization is going to make a massive change. They're either going to shrink or they're going to grow. Very few are going to stay stable. Now, when you put that into a context of a CapEx versus OpEx model for IT, um, let me define it a little bit for you. When you talk about a CapEx model for IT, you're trying to make an estimate over equipment you can purchase and capitalize over three, four, or five years. Now, that includes not only workstations and phones and power strips, it also includes your servers, your network infrastructure, your firewalls, all that. And one thing that any IT director and CFO knows, that equipment is very expensive and you want to buy it once and not necessarily need to change it. The challenge of that is, is in this market where you're either going to have massive growth or massive shrinkage, you're either over or under buying and you're committing a huge amount of financial resources of your organization towards the technological operations. Now, when you want to move it to an OPEX model, so for operational expense, you do things like move to the cloud. Um, a, you're still going to need to purchase hardware for your end users in the form of laptops or desktops or phones. But when you're in the cloud-based services on a pay-as-you-go model, you can expand or contract your server space, processing power, other network infrastructure as your needs grow and shrink. This is important because it gives more ability to leverage operating capital in the moment. CFOs love this because they can look at their expenses go down as opposed to a huge capitalized expense over five years. They may be looking at a month-to-month OPEX cost that can easily be tied to a specific employee or to a business unit. So with software as a service, or anything as a service for that matter, this is increasingly becoming the viable concept of choice. So do we have a generation gap between younger and older decision makers in terms of strategic management? Um, are you observing, for example, that prior to 2020, companies were generally moving towards this willingly or proactively? Or is there still something of a lag between organizations that have either opted to keep their mission-critical components at home on premises, or those that have maintained the old sort of IBM big blue mentality and gone with one of the big players like AWS, uh, between those groups and others that have demonstrated a more agile and entrepreneurial approach? So the challenge is, is that just because companies have embraced and rushed into the cloud uh, doesn't mean they executed it well. Some organizations moved in um, to cloud-based services relatively well. Others have kind of stumbled on their way. Um, and it really has no binding to the type of business they're doing or even the size. It has to do with the philosophical belief in the organization of whether or not IT services in the cloud are something that benefits an organization. What I see on a daily basis is 50% of our customers that come in are IT folk who've been informed by their C-level personnel because they read in a flight magazine or some other way that they need to move to the cloud and it's the best way to save money for their business. What they don't understand is that moving to the cloud is something that needs to be intentional. It needs to be thought out. It needs to be executed well by professionals. And it involves not only really talented IT people, but it requires organizational management to be bought into those technological advances and be willing to change and adapt around it. Organizations that don't have that buy-in, uh, especially in the small, medium business or large business space, um, 
can end up spending a whole bunch of money and making a lot of people really uncomfortable and then not actually gaining any of the business efficiencies out of it. What do you see for the future beyond 2020? Have we now entered a new normal or are we hovering just in an inconvenient pause for a year or two? Like if you step away from IT for a moment and look at organizations like airlines and restaurants whose revenue model is entirely dependent on having people packed closely together, it's not just an economic practicality. Uh, This reflects an innate human desire to socialize and be physically together. How are you seeing how this will change the way people expect to work uh, between home and other locations? And, And how would this apply to their strategies for maintaining and defending their data? I think this entire event is unpredictable by itself. Um, if I were to make a prediction, the the number one thing I'd say is nothing is certain, and I wouldn't put any serious money on any particular outcome. I think it's one of the, some of the positive things we've seen is from this shaking of the boggleboard, so to speak, is that remote working is possible. It is possible for people that may be immunocompromised, the people that might have specific disabilities. It, and it shines light on the fact that staff don't necessarily need to be in the office and monitored in order to do good work product. And there are a lot of organizations that have been fighting against that, pushing against that for a very long time for reasons that no one can really tell. I think humans by their own nature function better when they're socializing. They work better in teams socializing in different ways, whether or not that socialization is done via Zoom, be done in person, over a coffee, uh, at a conference table, or in somebody's living room has yet to be seen. I know how I work better, and that's I work better when I have my, my team with me because then we can bounce ideas around each other. I don't have to have that all the time, but it really helps. And that's one of the things that I've been kind of suffering through is that I've been talking to my teammates via Zoom, uh, but it's different because you lose the nuance of communication. And more importantly, I'm an IT guy. We fight. We yell, we argue, we do things, and we, we, we distill down ideas and knowledge to the best of breed as a group. And that's a messy behavior. And a lot of that can't be captured by remote access. That being said, there is a certain comfort of being able to work from home in your jammies and be able to focus your work product or to wake up at 10 p.m. and suddenly have an epiphany and get to work and do three hours of work and be done for the rest of the week. I think what we're going to find is is that organizations are still going to want to have that level of control, and some of their staff are going to they're going to come back in. It's going to be impossible to predict how we're going to ride the next eighteen months of this out. I think that we've got serious economic challenges, considering so much of the world's economy is based off of travel, leisure, and oil consumption, and now a lot of that's been shut down. And there are positive sides to it as well. I mean, the environmental impact that you're seeing now is astounding from the lack of traffic and the lack of use of those resources. But what I can say from a technological perspective is organizations are going to need to become more agile. They're going to need to move their resources more into the cloud, mainly because sometimes they can't even get on premise. One of the things we're seeing with small and medium business is that they have servers that may, they may be able to connect to or not to in remote offices, but they may not be allowed to get to those offices. If they have an outage, their staff isn't there. And the security of moving their equipment to the cloud where they're properly staffed, secured, and you've got healthy people ready to work uh, is an obvious benefit. I mean, we used to talk when we were doing colo and managed services that it was always a better space to be in the data center regardless because you're never going to beat the power and network connectivity of a tier three data center with, you know, your back office, basic 110 power. But now 
more than that, you need you need operational security that your remote workers are going to be able to work and you can hold someone accountable and have a certain level of comfort knowing that you've got a team of people ready 24-7 that are in position to help you. Even if they're helping a thousand other customers, it's safety in numbers, especially when it comes to operational uptime. People need to look at the cloud not as a universal savior, not as a universal solution, not as a universal cost savings measure. There, it needs to be thought about. It needs to be considered strongly. Like the same way that you would not purchase, you know, a high-end vehicle or invest in, you know, some sort of like heavy equipment for your organization. Regardless, the the cloud is a it's a great tool. Um, whether or not it's a good fitting tool for your organization, something needs to be thought out. And it's there's a certain safety for IT guys in this particular space because we know it. Some organizations are going to be really well positioned for it. If they have a whole bunch of employees that are doing the same type of task, then there's a certain aspect of cloud that's going to be great for them from a virtual desktop perspective. Say you're an architecture company and you've got these huge files that you need to work on. The cloud may not necessarily be the best fit for you in just having a file server up there. You may need an entire virtual desktop infrastructure with high-powered graphics. Medical and financial industries definitely need to worry about information security and how they're going to build everything. The biggest problem with the word cloud is it doesn't mean anything anymore. We jokingly say the cloud is just somebody else's computer, but that's kind of the truth. The cloud by itself doesn't solve a problem. It's like saying, I have a car, so I'm not going to have any problem getting anywhere. When the fact of the matter is you don't know how fast you're going to get there, how you're going to get fuel for it, whether or not it's going to be electrical, um, whether or not you've got insurance on it, and whether or not you even know how to drive it. So cloud isn't a universal answer for everyone. There are components of it that are great for certain organizations, but you really need to be diligent. You really need to be intentional on how you embrace it. And finding experts to help you with that intentionality is your number one job. Because if you find a good one that you can trust, you're going to do great at it, um, so long as you buy in. If And if you're not ready to follow with that intentionality, to trust people to help you with it, and to move forward with, like, to plan your work and work your plan, wait until you're ready to do that. One of the illustrations that I like to use when I talk about these topics to my audiences or where I teach at Ontario Tech University is the ironic and iconic photograph that shows that the fastest way of shipping data across the country is still by truck. There's a wonderful image of a tractor trailer hauling a modular container. I'm not sure if you agree with that, but the premise is if you have petabytes or more of data, for example, if you're shooting a movie, then shipping these files from New York to LA is still the quickest way to get that data across. It's a fascinating analog, you know, in both senses of the word of what the cloud is and isn't. At least that's what the image conveys. So just wondering what you think about that. Um, I've used that analogy as well in a slightly different way. And that's how you define bandwidth versus latency. Um, the, 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 you're never going to defeat the bandwidth of a 747 full of DLT tapes. Um, like you're going to be able to move enormous amounts of data. The question is, when is it going to get there? And that's the big difference with latency. So I always I, I like that you brought that up because it's it's sneaker net is, is super fast. So, Ed, as we conclude here, what would you like to say about Steadfast itself? For example, who are you and who do you like to work with? Um, Steadfast is a 21 year old organization. We've been in the hosting and management infrastructure space for longer than most organizations have been around. We may be a relatively small organization compared to the big players. But we have a specific niche of customer that we love to work with, and that's organizations that want to focus on doing their types of business and work with technology to leverage 
solutions to better focus on their business. Typically, we want to find organizations that that are eager to integrate and build on a partnership rather than have a service provider directly. We like to grow with our customers. And that's one of the side effects of being a 21-year-old company that was around at the birthplace of the web. We have customers that have been with us the full 21 years that have grown into large web presences um, that were just one guy with one server at the beginning. And we love to grow with our customers and build around them. On top of that, we like working with the the, uh, small and medium enterprise, um, organizations that have a technology plan are are my favorite people to work with because they know what they want to do. They know what their end result's going to be, and they may need some help executing it, which is kind of the niche of where I fall in. I'm in this weird sales engineering position where I'm the least intelligent IT guy, but I'm the least likable sales guy, but I know how to talk to everybody. Uh, It's my job specifically to kind of do architecture and engineering and take business and technical concepts and turn them into solutions. And that's what Steadfast does. And we're very, very good at it. Um, We have Premier Space in one of the largest data centers in the world, which is 350 CERMAC. Um, It's the sixth largest data center in the world. It's the telecommunications hub for the entire United States uh, and the entire financial network of the United States. Um, we also have additional facilities out in New Jersey, um, so we can offer organizations geographic redundancy, availability, um, and high availability environments. It's what we do, and it's what we love to do. More information about Steadfast, including access to their excellent blog, is available at steadfast.net. That's S-T-E-A-D-F-A-S-T dot net. And we thank Ed Dreyer for joining us here on the Clouds Weeks podcast today and for sharing some extremely valuable and topical insights. Support for the Clouds Weeks podcast comes from ISC Squared, and we thank them for their ongoing support. To learn about and join the ISC Squared community of cybersecurity leaders, please visit isc2.org. And as for us, you can check us out at cloudtweaks.com and follow us on Twitter at cloudtweaks. If your company is looking for some great exposure to thousands of decision makers in the IT, cloud, and related industries worldwide, please do get in touch. We can craft a campaign that will get you noticed through our website, social media, and newsletter channels, all of which already enjoy substantial readership. And of course, if you like this podcast, please consider subscribing, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, and tell just one more person about us. We are always interested in learning what we can do to bring quality news to you. Until next time, I'm Steve Prentice. Thanks for listening.